little boy, which is dropped on Hiroshima in Japan, the atomic bomb that uh, soon leads to Japan's surrender, ending the war in the Pacific. Dang, Kodak. That information didn't come out until 1947, but if you look at Kodak's Kodakery internal magazine, you'll see lots of aerial pictures of the factory and they're kind of patting themselves on the back. And I'm asking you how you got, like earlier I was asking you, how did you get all this messed up information? And you're like, the Kodakery, which sounds like a really fun drink, but is actually a little internal magazine that gives up their deepest, darkest secrets. It is really messed up because I went through so many of these magazines. They published it bi-monthly and most of it was just big family pictures of the employees all having fun. And then you'd stumble across, oh, there's a bunch of people in blackface. Or, okay. oh, okay, that's where they built their uranium that destroyed Hiroshima. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know what? I will say something we didn't mention is that George Eastman was like someone that pioneered um, like a good work culture. He was very good to his employees. Kodak employees are so loyal. They love the company and they did have a really deep culture and I actually think that Kodakery magazine was a big part of it. Yeah, I think so. And actually when I was researching the company, I found these Reddit threads where people were like, oh, my uncle worked for Kodak and he still talks about how they were the best company to work for. Like they treated their employees really well. They had the Kodakery, which was mostly fun, but sometimes gave up their deepest, deepest <coughs> darkest secrets. But like, ugh, there were so many positive things that the company was founded on and then. I feel like I have to say in fairness, we've, we've done the history of many different camera companies. Yeah. But this is only the second one we've done of an American company. The other companies have been German or Japanese, and that means that so much of their internal documentation like this was in a language we could not easily consume. Yeah, that's true. So we were able to go through more detail in Kodak, and maybe we would have found equally messed up stuff about Canon. I don't know. I'm glad I don't know. This is horrible. So okay. right about 1945, there's an engineer at Kodak in Rochester, and Kodak sells x-ray film. Farmers would use it to, I don't know what they're doing, but they use x-ray film to like <laughs> detect uh, stuff going, like hay going bad, that kind of thing. Like what? It gives really? off a little x-ray. Yeah. So they have a, a market that nobody really talks about. Some of those x-ray plates, they're showing up fogged. Like they're developing it and they're calling up Kodak like, why are my plates all fogged? And then the engineer's like, I don't know, man. He's double checking everything, making sure no x-rays are getting in, like there's no cracks in any of the manufacturing housing. Yeah. And he ends up like traveling around, like trying mm. to track this fogging down to its source. Like they really care. And um, he picks up some of the samples and ends up testing it for any kind of radiation that might be infecting the x-ray plates. And it turns out, yeah, there is some radiation. He does further testing and he figures out that it has a 30-day half-life and that means it's cerium-141. Cerium. which is cerium-141, which is a byproduct of the atomic bomb. And it was certainly released during the U.S. testing of the atomic bomb in 1945 because it was shortly thereafter that a lot of these x-rays started to turn up fogged. But it gets a little more interesting than that because where the plates were fogging wasn't obvious. It wasn't all around where they did the testing, but it was downstream in the rivers. What he concluded was that the radiation was traveling from the location of the atomic bomb testing down the rivers and then fogging up 
their x-ray plates. It was also coming down in the rain. He figured out that the atomic bomb had, was spreading radiation, which is something we did not know. And so many thousands, I don't know, millions of people died from radiation poisoning from these atomic bombs. We thought they were just like traditional munitions, like they just go boom and then it's over with. We didn't know that radiation sickness was going to kill so many people. He figured it out pretty early. So Kodak also had a part in figuring out that radiation hangs around and can travel in the atmosphere and via waterways. Right. Popular Mechanics wrote the interesting article that I'm using as a source here, and Popular Mechanics raised the question, should he have said something? Yeah, absolutely. Like, if people knew that they might get radiation sickness, they could have tracked down where the radiation spread and given the people some, I don't know, iodine or treated them in some way. Yep. He didn't, he didn't say anything. Yeah, he should have. He probably should have. But, I mean, I'm not in his position. Who am I to say? 1954, Kodak releases the Brownie Bullet. I really bullet. feel like I cut out way more of my slides than you did. You're going into, like, radiation in the rivers. This isn't right. <laughs> the Brownie Bullet was an upgrade to their popular Brownie camera. You and don't care. It continued to sell millions based on the premise that it was inexpensive, easy to use, and you would keep buying Kodak film, mm -hmm. the old razor and blades okay. business model. 1954, also... The government comes back at Kodak for having a monopoly again. Yeah. This time, it's interesting. This time, what the government decides to do is to separate the processing from the purchase of the film. Because up until this point, if you buy some Kodak film, the processing is